Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Looking forward to this hour with Dr. Michael Heiser. We have him for the whole hour, which means you can start sending your questions now, 877-933-2484. We're going to be talking about demons today hmm, and what the Bible really says about the powers of darkness. It's probably a good idea to find out what the ancient people of both the Old and New Testament believed about evil spiritual forces and then what the Bible actually says. We want to Uh, be sound in our biblical thinking of demons and supernatural rebellion, evil spirits and spiritual warfare. Those are really big issues uh, that Christians have. And we're going to talk to Dr. Michael Heiser for the whole hour. So I know you've got a question about demons or the uh, evil spirits or spiritual warfare. So let me know what those questions are. I can ask on your behalf, 877-933-2488. Eight four. His new book is uh, is just out. I believe it's out. I'll have to ask him exactly when it's released. I might have an advanced copy in my hand, which makes me jealous of myself right now, which is nice. Let me take a little break. I'll bring on Dr. Heiser. How are you holding on to hope these days? I'm Carmen LeBurge, host of Mornings with Carmen, and this Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Central, I'll be joined by my other faith radio host, Susie Larson and Bill Arnold, for a special hour of prayer and testimony with you. So plan to join us. We want to hear from you and pray with you this Saturday, April the 4th from 9 to 10 a.m. Central. You're going to call us at 877-933-2484 for a live hour online of testimonies and prayer. God is waiting to give you wisdom. You just have to ask. So you say, God, I need wisdom. And I pray and I ask. Then I read the Bible. I read this book. And then I wait. And at the right time, maybe not immediately, at the right time, God will put that idea in my mind. And he'll go, wow, that's an inspiration. That's what I need to do. Fuel for a deep and active faith. Faith Radio. Welcome to the show. Michael Heiser's new book is called Demons, and I think it's like hand sanitizer. You want it, you just can't get it yet. I think it comes out. Uh, I think it comes out this next month. Michael, when does it come out? It comes out at the end of April. Boy, do I have to steal that long. Oh, help yourself. <laughs> so, help me uh, update your resume. Are you now the executive director of the School of Theology at Celebration Church? Do I have that right? That's correct. I mean, you we do so many our... things. So, what happened yeah. to uh, Logos? Well, I, I technically have not been with uh, Logos since last June. I, I've worked at home. So this this transition is actually not much of a transition okay. for me. Uh, but we, we did move in January, though. We, it took us, you know, six, seven months. You know, we, I, I worked uh, at a distance, and then we moved uh, to Florida. So that's where we're at now. We're in Jacksonville. Oh, nice. But, uh, yeah, you know, I so— you know, I'm I'm still planning to write other things, you know, for for Lexum Press and Faith Life, and you know, do do this or that project. But no, we uh, we're here now, and 
essentially, I mean, the short version is I, I have my own school. We've, we have 800 students, believe it or not, to wow. start this term. We're halfway through our first term. 700 of them are online. Then we have 100 that actually live in the area that, that were coming uh, two nights a week. But we have to video the content now, but I still do live Q&As with them to preserve a little bit of the live element under the conditions. Sure. So the book uh, Demons, what the Bible really says about the powers of darkness, how long have you been working in this? I would imagine decades. Well, you know, uh, yeah, Unseen Realm was was a 15-year putter project. Mm -hmm. And this, you know, there, there are certain things in the Demons book that were you know, dropped, you know, like little breadcrumbs in right. an unseen realm. And there are other things that, that I didn't get into an unseen realm. Um, so this is kind of a drill down. So technically, yeah, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, you know, of, of sort of focusing on, you know, supernatural beings, you know, both the good guys and the bad guys uh, in uh, in scripture. And really, again, my, my thing is trying to read scripture through you know, the eyes of the ancient writer, the original yes. writer and the original audience that, that received, you know, the, what, what came from his pen as it were. Yeah. So that, that's, that's what makes it different. Let's start there then. Let's talk about the powers of darkness and how the Israelites must have had incredibly fearful experiences of, um, of darkness. Yeah. You know, the, the, the Old Testament is really, it's really kind of interesting because on, on the one hand, there are things that are obviously familiar to us, but even in those things, there are ways of thinking about them that Israelites would have thought that are not familiar to us. And then there are other things that we just sort of read right over and we don't really recognize, you know, what's going on. So uh, as an example of the former, uh, I like to introduce the subject this way, you know, to, to kind of get people's attention uh, in in, in a legitimate sort of way. And that is, if you asked um, the average Christian, you know, what, why is the world such a mess? You know, why do we have evil? You know, what, what's going on here? You know, and, and the whole thing about demons, where do they come from? And, you know, all this trouble, all this spiritual trouble, you know, that all this, where does it come from? So we, our inclination would be, well, that, you know, all of that was the fault. It's Genesis 3, it's the garden, you know, it's the serpent, it's Adam and Eve, and so on and so forth. But if you ask the average, you know, Israelite, you know, who had, you know, a, a text to look at and read, uh, and if you ask the Second Temple Jew, who certainly had, you know, their Hebrew Bible, that is not the answer you would get. The answer you would get is, well, there's actually three reasons why, you know, the world is such a mess. The first one, the thing that started it all is, this, is what happened in the garden. But then there's this Genesis 6 episode, the first four, really the first five verses, and then there's what happened at Babel. So if you were an ancient person, you actually believe there were three reasons why we had depravity and why supernatural evil was part of that picture and how supernatural evil contributed to it and propelled it. And that's actually quite different uh, than, than what we are, are sort of customarily taught uh, in church, but it's all over, you know, ancient textual material that, that this is the way they thought. And, and the reason it's important is because be, because that, that's the way they thought. Their messianic expectation was that, well, the Messiah, when he when the Messiah comes, he's not going to fix just the Genesis 3 problem, the problem of estrangement from God and we lost immortality and we're going to die. And so we need, you know, we, we need to be removed, you know, from death, from, from Sheol, from the, the underworld and all that. The Messiah not only needs to provide a solution for that, but he needs to provide a solution for all this other stuff too. 
And again, we don't think about the mission of Jesus uh, in, in that particular way. What does the mission of Jesus have to do with Genesis 6? What does it have to do with, you know, the, what happened at Babel? Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9 are completely unfamiliar, you know, to, to most Christians. They were to me, and I was a doctoral student. I was in a PhD program before I ran into Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9, you know, and, and why it was important, really what, what was there, it, which is, it still astonishes me to think about it, but that's true. It's absolutely true. I was not a newbie, and yet a lot of these things I had never seen before, and I had my own sort of moments where I was jolted um, by by providence to to sort of wake up and and start reading the the text for what it was. Mm-hmm. Michael, maybe we can start a little bit by talking about and describing the, the nature of evil spirits. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people create what they think evil spirits and things from the kingdom of darkness, they, mm-hmm. they think that this is how they operate, but do we really know, or how can we best understand we, the nature of them? Yeah, we, we know certain things. Um, there are actually different groups. I, I, like to, I like to characterize them as different groups of rebels, okay, or rebellions. I mean, if we go with the, these three events, these three primeval events, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give you the quick sketch of what a... A, a, again, an ancient person would think, which is going to be quite a bit different than, you know, again, our standard demonology that we, we get in church or just, you know, our tradition. And that is, well, we, we have an original rebel. There, there was somebody in the garden, you know, a supernatural being in the garden that tempted Adam and Eve. Okay, the, the, this individual is labeled as a serpent. Maybe he comes as a serpent. Maybe that's this guy. You know, there's a lot of ways to think about that. But that isn't too much of a task because the New Testament informs us that, you know, what was going on in the garden, there, there really was this divine being, the supernatural being that opposed the will of God and wanted humanity kicked out, destroyed, expelled, and all that. So that's one. Then the second group is the Genesis 6, the sons of God, who in, in Jewish thought, and again, they thought this because they understood the backstory of Genesis 6, 1 through 4, really 1 through 5, which was actually a Mesopotamian story. Um, they understood that Genesis 6, 1 through 5 was written as a corrective, as a theological response to this older story that, that is completely lost on us. And, and the story went something like this. Well, we have a transgression of heaven and earth. In that transgression, you know, we have the sons of God, and the daughters of men, and that produces the biblical giants. In Jewish thought, this is actually the origin point for demons, because demons were uh, considered to be uh, the disembodied spirits of the dead Nephilim and the dead, you know, giant clans, the Rephaim, the Anakim, all these Eames that you see in in the the tales of Moses and and, and Joshua. Uh, The disembodied part of them was what demons were. And these are the demons of the Gospels. These are not the principalities and powers. Those extend from what happens at Babel, when according to Deuteronomy 32, 8, 9, again, reading that passage with the Dead Sea Scrolls, it says, when the Most High divided up the nations, which is, you know, obviously what happened at Babel, when he fixed their boundaries, their borders, he divided them up according to the number of the sons of God. And Deuteronomy 4 is the parallel. It talks about how the nations were allotted to these other supernatural beings. Deuteronomy 29 says the same thing. You know, how how God was punishing humanity. He divorces humanity and says, essentially, you don't want me to be your God. Fine. I'm going to assign you to these lesser members of the heavenly host. 
And that just goes very badly because these beings have free will, just like humans do. And they began to allow people to worship them. They sowed chaos in the nations. This is what they're being judged for in Psalm 82. The whole psalm is about God rising up and judging uh, these you know, fallen sons of God, these fallen supernatural beings. So you actually have three groups. I mean, this, is, this Babel story is where Daniel gets his theology. A lot of your listeners, this will be more familiar. You know, you're reading along in Daniel 10, and, and you get these supernatural beings, the prince of Persia, the prince of Greece. You know, Michael is, is a good prince, you know, one of the archangels. He's the prince of Israel. But you have this spiritual warfare backdrop. And, and very few people ever asked an obvious question, and that is, hey, where does Daniel get this theology? You know, because we don't really see it. At least we don't think we do. And, you know, transparently in the Old Testament, like, where does Daniel get this idea that geopolitical empires are somehow connected to spiritual darkness, you know, forces of darkness. Well, the answer is he gets that from Deuteronomy 32, 8, 9, which is connected to the Babel incident. So again, this is a worldview, but these, these are what become the principalities, the powers, the rulers, the authorities that Paul talks about. Those are the geopolitical guys. So you actually have Satan, the Satan figure, okay, the original rebel. Then you've got the demons that come out of the Genesis 6 story, and there's also an element about there's a proliferation of depravity because false teaching is laid at the foot of these demons, these demonic you know, figures here, uh, which is why the New Testament writers incidentally connect false teaching with demons, you know, with, with power, the powers of darkness. They do that for a reason. But that's a second group. And then the third group are these geopolitical ones. So you know, again, this is not something that I was ever taught uh, in Bible college or seminary, uh, but this is something that if you actually read, you know, a lot of material like the Dead Sea Scrolls, you know, you, you, you get this, it's all over the place in, in that literature. And then you have to ask the obvious question, well, where are they getting this in the Old Testament? And if you read their material, they'll actually tell you. They'll go to passages and and show, you know, how they're thinking about this or that passage. And then you, you go back to those passages in your Old Testament and think, wow, I never looked at it that way before. You know, or, you know, that, that it makes sense because of this, that, and the other thing. So we can unpack, you know, any of those points. In Unseen Realm, I, I sort of give the broad overview uh, of, of this, this world of spiritual darkness. Demons, I get into a lot of, okay— Let's drill down on each of these rebellions. You know, what happened? How did it work? What's the fallout? And, and what, what does Messiah, what does Jesus do to reverse all three of these things? So I spent a lot of time in the book talking about reversal and, again, how, how somebody who this is their worldview, how they would have looked at the operation of, of spiritual darkness. Because ultimately it's about sowing the seeds of depravity among humanity, helping humans to destroy themselves more effectively. It's about, uh, in, the, in, the, in the case of the geopolitical stuff, the Daniel 10, which again extends from Deuteronomy 32. It's really about manipulation of people who hold power so that they can enslave and sow chaos and, and especially target the righteous in their dominions, you know, in, in their in their areas of influence. So this is the world that, that leaks into the New Testament. And what Jesus does is a direct confrontation in a number of ways with any one of these three, and some in some episodes, even more than one at a time. Um, 
that, that you're dealing with. Michael, let me take a short break. Dr. Michael Heiser is my guest. If you have questions, let me know. 877-93-FAITH, 877-933-2484. His book is called Demons, What the Bible Really Says About the Powers of Darkness. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Michael Heiser is my guest. His book is called Demons, What the Bible Really Says About the Powers of Darkness. And Michael, as I was listening to you in the last segment, I'm thinking, well, you are so smart. Uh, do you ever do any bonehead things around your house? Like try to put up shelving and you bring down the whole wall, or anything like that? Come on, you got to give me something. Okay. Okay. I don't, okay, I'm not making this up. Okay. All right. I don't know how to work the TV in my house. <laughs> I really don't. I, I, it's, All right. There's I just, some victory I'm there for me. I'm flabbergasted and flummoxed by the whole thing. I, I literally have to ask my wife. <laughs> All right. I feel better now. All right. Because um, I don't know if I can ask smart enough questions. Um, but when I'm thinking about the order of defection. How do you, how do you find Netflix? <laughs> <laughs> All right. When you talk about the order of defection f- from God's will, did... Adam and Eve go first, or did Lucifer go first? Yeah, I, I think the the order is, you know, the the adversary. Okay, you know, th- this gets us into 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 some weeds already because a, a lot of critics, you know, will point out that okay, we have this story in Genesis three, and we have this serpent, and they'll point out correctly that the word Satan in Hebrew, you know, w- where we would get our word Satan, never appears. In Genesis three, they'll and they'll push this by basically saying, "Hey, you know, in, in fact, this this serpent is never called Satan anywhere in the Bible until you get to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, in chapter twelve, and that that is also true." So, you know, the critics like to have a, a big heyday with this, and I, I'm going off in this trajectory for a reason. I'll, I'll loop back to what what you originally asked. I don't think this is a problem at all, you know, for for biblical theology. Satan means adversary, okay, someone who opposes or or challenges. And that could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. But in this case, it's very clear that the figure who is going to tempt Adam and Eve, again, in, in, in the, the appearance or the guise or whatever of, of a serpent. And I, I personally don't think Genesis 3 is about a zoology lesson. Uh, ancient people were not, they weren't dumb. They, they knew animals didn't talk. So whenever, when you get a story that had an animal talking like this, they instantly know, okay, that's not really a snake. It, it's the gods are up to something here, you know, because Egypt has these stories. Mesopotamia has these stories. The Israelites are going to know that, okay, there, there's something going on here that is from the realm of, of the divine, the, the supernatural realm. And in this instance, you have this figure who very clearly opposes, challenges what God is doing in Eden. So I think he had crossed that line, and he deserves the title Satan, Satan, which he gets later. It doesn't matter if the term is used of him in Genesis 3. He's still doing the kinds of behavior that earns the title, 
later on. So it doesn't really matter when this this you know this rebel gets this or that title chronologically, who cares? If the shoe fits, and it obviously does, he can wear it. He is challenging God. He's opposing what God wants here. And so he deserves the title whenever he gets it. So I think he crosses the line first. The way he gets described, or this this rebellion gets described in, in other passages, gives us some indication that this being, of course, belonged in Eden. Eden is where God lived. God has the heavenly host with him, his entourage, so to speak. Uh, this being is described in, in Ezekiel, for instance, as an unanointed cherub. Okay, a, a cherub is a throne guardian. So, you know, it seems that this being had close proximity to, to sacred space where God was. You know, whatever, at some point he decides that he wants to be in charge. He wants autonomy. He doesn't want to live, you know, with God's decision to, to give the earth to these morons, okay, these, these humans that are lesser <laughs> because they're embodied. He's, he's not going to put up with it. And so the solution in his mind is to get them to violate God's command because he knows that God will not tolerate this and he's hoping for their destruction. He assumes it. I mean, that's the story we all know in, Gen in Genesis 3. So he has to sort of, again, make that decision first. We're not given a chronology. We don't have a, you know, like an itinerary of, of, of rebellion here. But he has it in his head, so to speak, when the humans at some point, when the humans are out there. And so he he's already transgressed. He's already in an adversarial posture. And then he goes and has this conversation with Eve. And of course, we know the rest of the story. So that, that much we, we know. We, we know this is a story ultimately of a, of a supernatural rebellion. You had to have someone in the heavenly host decide to, you know, that I, I want to be like the most high. I want to be in control. I want to be the one calling the shots. I want to be the one making the decisions. I know better than God does. You know, all these thoughts, the hubris that it takes to do that. And so we have one that does and tries to, you know, plunge the human race into really annihilation. But, but God is, is kind and he doesn't do that. Yes, there's a curse. Yes, you know, there's, pardon the pun, fallout of the fall uh, for everyone involved. But God doesn't come up with a plan B. There's only plan A. God doesn't destroy humanity. He's still going to get his way. He's still going to work the plan. But now humanity has to be brought back into relationship with him. There has to be forgiveness. There has to be redemption, reconciliation, all these, these ideas. But we, ha we have a real problem now because Eden, you know, as a result of the story, is no more. Humanity has lost immortality, and that must be restored. And so the hope of people in the Old Testament period was that, you know, you, you have various Psalms that talk about, you know, everybody going to Sheol, Sheol's the, the Hebrew term, you know, for the underworld, the afterlife, the place where the dead go. You know, we still talk like this today because we have to, you know, you cross over, okay? The hope was that God would remove the righteous from that place so that they could be with him. And of course, Jesus becomes the focus of that later. Yeah, Michael, we're going to take a little break. Uh, we're up against a hard break. Let us know what the questions are. We've got some good ones coming in, 877-93-FAITH. Michael, Dr. Michael Heiser is my guest. Demons is the name of his book. What the Bible really says about the powers of darkness. This book is not out till next month, but we will be right back with the author himself in just a few minutes.
Welcome back to the show. Dr. Michael Heiser is my guest. He's written many books. His most recent one is called Demons, what the Bible really says about the powers of darkness, yet he cannot watch Netflix unless his wife is home, which is kind of sad. <laughs> yes, it is sad. <laughs> so, Michael, here's a question coming in from Terry. This is out of Revelations 2.13 in his letter to the church. Jesus says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Where is Satan's throne? Yeah, I think that's a, I, I'm with most, you know, commentators here. I think that's a reference to the uh, the temple of Zeus there. I think that's a, it's a pejorative, you know, thrown at that particular place for you know, the worship of that particular deity. Okay. What about uh, some of the Greek gods and mythologies? Are, is any of that based on demons? Well, you know, all of every culture had names that they attributed to the supernatural beings they believed existed. And so in that sense, you know, the gods of, of the Greeks and the Romans or the Mayans or whoever, you know, these, their pantheons and their, the names that they get are assigned to beings that a biblical writer would say, you know, existed. They were real. Biblical writers had their own, you know, terms for these, these entities so in that sense, you know, we have to take them them seriously. Gods typically got named because of some perceived attribute that a culture, you know, assigned to, you know, a, an entity, which was usually the product of some historical event or, you know, maybe a, something geographical, uh, you know, but, but cultures would sort of order the spiritual world um, so that they could sort of understand it and, and explain the things that happened to them in accord with the activities of the spiritual world. They they all assumed that there was a connection between a supernatural world and their own world. And they hoped to have friends in the supernatural world. They certainly believed they would have enemies. And so these are ways for the, a given culture to talk about, again, that belief that these entities were real and some of them were threatening and some of them weren't. Mm-hmm. What about... Uh demons or or spiritual darkness coming into a person's home a listener said that i've had i've had them in my house and the eldership from my church came over and and prayed and they left but mm-hmm. my kids heard them and my spouse gave them a place and they were present yeah well see that that last line you know that that is a ubiquitous sort of thing i mean i i've read a lot of these kinds of accounts you, you'll you'll come even when I'm not doing biblical studies. You know, I I'm I study a lot of you know occult literature, paranormal stuff, and this is a recurring ubiquitous pattern that giving them place or 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 a solicitation, you know, something like that is is almost an essential ingredient. Now I I'm going to just I'll give you a little anecdote here. You know, I'm an academic, so I you know I, I look at every all this stuff academically. I went to a regional. American Academy of Religion meeting one year on the in the Pacific Northwest and I specifically went to the meeting because of a session there was a going to there was going to be a speaker there and I had just read his little book called The Gods Are Many it was a theology a polytheistic theology and this guy was a professor somewhere in the northwest he's retired now but he was a polytheist and I wanted to hear him talk and he was very open about his religion, if you can call it that. And one of the essential ingredients to him was solicitation. He said, look, the, 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 you're not going to have any relationship with the gods 
if you do not open yourself to this, that, or the other thing. And he would describe some of the things that, that he did to create a relationship where, where he could barter with spirits, you know, get what he wants and, you know, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. But this is not a cartoonish view that fundamentalist Christians have. That's my point. Mm. Every culture that engages the spirit world in this way, this is a significant element, solicitation and, you know, providing an access, that sort of thing. So whether it, it's something immediate, like this, this was a spouse, or something in a family's history, th that really matters when it comes to, to situations like this. And I think the, the solution, I think, is always to speak truth to the spiritual darkness that is threatening you. And the truth means their status before the Most High God. You know, who, whose side you're on, their status, their status of, of being defeated, the agenda they, they have, uh, that they desire for you is no longer valid. You know, every member of the kingdom of God is not going, you know, to be subject to them. I mean, there are a number of ways that uh, Scripture describes um, the status of a believer in relationship to uh, the, the powers of darkness. And those are the kinds of things I would emphasize, you know, in prayer, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just I don't want to use the word engagement too loosely here because I don't think we ought to be challenging spiritual authorities. I think we ought to be basically rebuking them with truth. Okay. Speak truth to lies. That, that I think that is the strategy in, in situations like that. And it sounds like her, her elders did that. Yeah. Which probably will lead me to my next question. Um, what about the, the fear that some people have about delving too deeply into the study of, of demons or the devil? And it, are we giving them a foothold for darkness in our own lives? I mean, is that, is that well, a legitimate concern? I mean, I, I, I think... I think you, we, you know, you have to be aware of. You got to be honest with yourself because, you know, just you know, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. I mean, I, I I read a lot of this stuff. Again, I take an academic approach to it. I have a very low view of you know, of things like, oh, I'd like to see that. I, I don't want to see that. Mm -hmm. You know, I I don't I don't have the least curiosity. You know, in, in in regard to a lot of these things, which I think is good, because if, if I did, then that would be something I'd really have to, you know, sort of battle or struggle with or whatever. I mean, I, to, to me, it's almost like a fact finding mission. Um, you know, what, and especially when it comes to biblical theology, you know, why are things said or why are, are supernatural powers, you know, dealt with in the way they're dealt with and so on and so forth. But for the, for the researcher, and, and even if it's a casual researcher or an academic, you do have to watch that your curiosity isn't piqued, you know, too, too, you know, heartily that you'd like to experience something. Because to me, that is when you're starting to think those kinds of thoughts, to me, that can be a, an open door that can be sort of a passive or, or a wished for solicitation. And I think since that seems to be the, the essential ingredients, even to practitioners of this sort of thing, when, when we entertain that thought, Okay, that that is the that's the open door down which you know, or through which that you should not go. So I think you, you really need to, to be honest, you know, with yourself as to why why you're why you're reading this book, why are you watching this documentary, you know, why why are you doing these sorts of things? Is is it titillating to you? Do you wish it would happen to you? Okay, if if you answer yes to questions like that, you probably ought to be doing something else. 
Good point. Michael, I'll combine two questions here. Uh, one is Satan is a created being, so why did God create him? And were humans created to be the rope in a cosmic tug of war between God and his and his adversaries? No, the, the, the second question I would I would answer no. That is not the intention of humanity. Uh, the, the first question, you know, I would answer: God didn't create a being evil. Okay, what, what we what we learn from Scripture is that God created beings like Himself, both in the spiritual world and also in the terrestrial world, the human world. Now, my view, and I, I talk about this in Unseen Realm, not so much in Demons, but in Unseen Realm, I spend a, a good amount of time talking about the plural language in Genesis 1.26, let us create humankind in our image, and why that is not the Trinity, you know, why why that approach doesn't work in other passages. And what, what's really going on there is we have to understand what imaging is, and we've, we've actually talked about this on your show before, that imaging is a status of, it's, it's being a representation of God, you know, God's proxy, so to speak. So what the, the, the reason we have plurals there is because in some way, we and God and them, the members of the heavenly host, are connected. And the way we're connected is we have a common creator. God wanted a family. He wanted, you know, children, so to speak, in the supernatural world and also in the human world. And he wanted them to be partners with him to do the things that he wants to get done, both on earth and in heaven. And to do that, he, he's given them this status above all created things in that realm and in our realm. And to equip them to accomplish the, the task of imaging, he shares his attributes with them, one of which is freedom. You know, we, we cannot image God. We cannot truly be God's imagers if that attribute is withdrawn. You know, I know there's a lot of people out there who don't, you know, want to believe in free will, you know, that, that for whatever theological system sort of, you know, sneers at that. Well, that's, that's unfortunate because you can't have the communicable attributes, the rest of the communicable attributes, and eliminate that one. That's cheating. Okay, to preserve your system. So God creates intelligent beings who are like himself in both realms. One of the ways they are equipped to do the task of imaging is freedom. And so God knows this. God knows that, you know what, I'm, I'm making this decision. I'm creating these beings like they are to live, you know, in their respective realms. And they're like me. They, they have the ability to make an uncoerced decision. Okay, they have freedom. You know, not as much as I do, but they have it, and but they lack something important. They're not me, <laughs> okay? They're like me, but they're not me. They don't have my perfect nature. So God knows in this world that he has created that there is potential for failure and for rebellion. But the, 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 the neat theological thing about this is even though this leads to disaster, okay, it leads to evil. Evil does erupt. Rebellion does erupt. We get depravity. We, we get all this this stuff that we're you know f we're familiar with, and and the the entity in the garden is just the first example of this. We get this, but God would rather have this world than have a world where He doesn't get us there at all. You know, he, He's He's not going to create just robots. Robots can't image Him. He can't have a genuine relationship with a robot with an entity that's pre-programmed. I mean, if God wants a relationship, if he wants to create beings who are like himself, who he can love and who will love him in return, this is the way it has to be done. And and despite the, the tragedy that's going to flow, you know, from, from 
our abuse of God's good gifts and their abuse of God's good gifts. Despite all that, God would rather have that world than to not have us at all. You know, and so why I tell people, you know, who are suffering, look, I understand if you're angry, you know, at, at God, you know, God is, we, we're ultimately in this mess because of, of a, a couple of decisions God made, but, but the decisions that God didn't make matter too. He didn't just create evil beings to just, oh, let's see what happens. Oh, let, let's see what suffering is like. You know, oh, that, that's kind of interesting. You know, he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't do this like he's behind them or, or behind humans, you know, sort of nudging them to, to destroy each other and to do evil things. Rather, this is what we do because we aren't him. But the alternative is to not have us at all. And so it actually, it, it's a reflection of the love of God the, 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 the overwhelming interest in having a family and having partners uh, and having, you know, heaven come to earth. You know, he creates us embodied. He has to come to earth. We can't go to him. You know, this is what Eden is about. It's about family. It's about partnership. It's about, you know, this is our status. You know, we are, we are imagers of God. We have a mission. We have a destiny, you know, because God doesn't give up on the plan, even, even when the worst thing happens. He is going to have his way. And this is the story. This is the meta-narrative of Scripture. God's never giving up on the original plan, and he doesn't need to turn, all us, turn us all into robots or just wipe the, the, the table clean and destroy everything. He's big enough to bring everything full circle, and he will. In the end, he will get his way. Evil will be overcome, and he's going to do it without cheating. You know, again, this is the big story of Scripture. This is what God is after. And we have to trust, again, him in, in that process. But the alternative is to not have them, you know, supernatural beings you know, who are like God, and to not have us at all. And God just didn't want to do that. He wanted us to be here, to be part of, of, of the reality that he created. Michael, this is what I would uh, call a win-win hour, and my listeners would agree you teach and I don't talk. This is great. <laughs> and I don't watch TV. So. <laughs> All right. <laughs> After a short break, we'll be back with Dr. Michael Heiser. Still time for questions. If you have one, text it over 877-933-2484. His book is called Demons, What the Bible Really Says About the Powers of Darkness. We'll be right back. Michael Heiser is my guest. His book is called Demons, What the Bible Really Says About the Power, Powers of Darkness. Um, so, Michael, should we be afraid of demons? I think I lost you. Probably trying to figure out his, v his TV. Nope. No, oh, there I'm you are. Here. You're back. Okay, I'm good. Here. I heard your question. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, I bumped the, uh, the, mute, the button. mute button. Yeah, that yes. happens to me. And I, and I do know where that is. So Sweet. You were lucky. <laughs> <I was> lucky. <laughs> now, I, I would say, you know, should we be afraid of demons? Well, I, I'm afraid of things that hurt. So, you know, I, I think that the answer to that should be yes in, in some respect. I mean, if you see what, what do demons do in the Gospels? Again, we're talking about this, this second group. Demons harass people and they harm them. Uh, they, they seek re-embodiment. 
and, and again, I, I think the there is a solicitation element to this, you know, especially the the last element. But we, you know, no one would want to be demon oppressed or harmed, you know, physically, especially or possessed or anything like that. So yeah, you know, I I think in that respect, they you know should be feared, but they're also they can't just assert this kind of dominion or ownership, you know, of a person. We we do have, you know, the means to oppose this. And again, this is what Jesus is constantly quoting in a scripture to in, in these situations. And I think, again, the methodology is speaking truth to lies. And it's not only for for the the entity to hear. It's also to reinforce it in us, you know, in our hearts that there are there are things that we need to believe that will protect us from the sort of harm that a demon can do. You know, if if, if you have a friend or you have somebody, you know, you you, you know, I I actually know people who've run into these situations. They're unusual, but they, they encounter someone like this. Usually there, there's some something in their history that sort of sucked them into the vortex and now they can't get out without someone else helping them, you know, with, again, prayer, you know, maybe even exorcism, that sort of thing. But to get to that point, there has to be sort of a going along with it on some level. And so just that much, again, I think that we can, we can resist, and we should. We're told to resist. We're told we can. We're told why we can. Mm-hmm. And these are the kinds of things that that we need to have in our in our hearts, in our minds, uh, not for when we're confronted, because again, that's very unusual. But I think for the little things in life that would would sort of try to pry open a, a door, would, would sort of try to get us too interested, so that we might, you know, end up doing some sort of, well, I wonder, you know, solicitation or, or again creating an opportunity. Uh, that I think is definitely the place to start and realize that if we don't, if we're not guarded there, then we do have something to fear. You know, we could be overtaken and then the problem just gets much worse. I, I love Proverbs uh, 19.3 that says, a man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart mm-hmm. rages against the Lord. You know, it's like <laughs> you, you, you blow up your own life and then you're mad at God. Um, yeah. And oftentimes I hear People, when their their life blows up, they're saying it's you know it's the it's the enemy, it's Satan trying to destroy me. And I think, well, m- maybe not. Maybe it's your own folly. Yeah. Sometimes I think we give Satan and demons a little too much credit. I mean, they they th- there are such things they can harm people. You know, we we know this from the Gospels. And I think there there are enough you know situations in in the world outside the Bible, the modern world, that you know would validate that. But I, 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 on the other hand, I think you're right. You know, I, I think a, a lot of the stuff that we think is demonic involvement is really, you know, I, w- I was stupid. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was unwise. I made the wrong decision. If I really sit down and think about why I'm in this mess, I can trace the steps back to some decision I, I know I shouldn't have made. Or, you know, we get harmed by human evil. Again, that that's something all, you know, that's different but related. We might be in the situation because of that. And that's a different kind of situation rather than just thinking that it's Satan. Maybe it is, you know, you know, something that someone else did to you. And then you'd have to approach that in a different way. Um, so I, I tend to think that, you know, for the most part, your your Proverbs reference is, is probably spot on. Mm-hmm. Another uh, uh, listener said, my mom uh, in, 
she grew up in the 60s, and mom suffered from schizophrenia. And she mm-hmm. said, I, I watched as the power of prayer and praise and scripture caused her disposition and her facial expression, her attitude and her behavior to change. I was wondering if that was a demonic oppression situation. She's just trying to understand something like yeah, that. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I would, I would say if, if that was the, the cure, it may have been because I, I don't believe that schizophrenia, you know, a, in terms of a, a clinical condition. You know, would would be directly affected by that. I mean, the, there are you know, there's lots of research on on the efficacy of prayer in different health conditions. So I'm not going to rule that out. But my you know, if if I had to sort of pick you know and, and and sort of come down somewhere, I would suspect that maybe maybe she wasn't clinically schizophrenic. Maybe there was something else. If that indeed eliminated you know, everything as, as opposed to just being a comfort, maybe having a, a temporary relief or something like that. So it, it would depend on some of those, those factors. Uh, you know, it's interesting you know, when you go to the gospels, the, and this isn't true in every case, but it's true in a number of cases that demonization uh, in the gospels is connected with certain um, really, you know, awful sort of health situations, you know, mental health, or even in some cases, physical. And this has given rise to the the perspective among, you know, people who frankly just, they don't don't have any belief in the supernatural at all. We'll see, you know, all this demon stuff is just mental illness. Well, you know, there are certain passages that could be read like that, but there are other passages that just can't. They just can't. You know, we we don't we don't send a, a mental illness into a herd of swine and watch it, you know, rumble over a cliff. You know, mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't work that way. Uh, there are episodes like that. That's not the only one that just defy this sort of one to one equation. But in other passages, there is some kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. Michael, a listener says Scripture tells us that one day evil will be no more. Does this mean that when all is said and done, free will will no longer exist? Oh, I, I love this question. Uh, I, I don't think that, that free will won't exist. I think what the, the transition, what makes the eternal state different is that we are made so much like Jesus. I mean, think of think of sanctification and ultimate sanctification, these passages that talk about us being, you know, reaching our destiny of being conformed to the image of, of Jesus or 1 John 3, we will be like, you know, Jesus, you know, in, in in as, in as much of a way as we possibly can without joining the Trinity, okay? Um, however, we we can sort of wrap our minds around that. That is what those passages talk about, that our nature becomes so much more God-like, okay? Not, not in terms of becoming deities or anything like that, but our nature becomes so conformed to what that, to what God's is and what Jesus is, that that doesn't eliminate free will, but it makes the possibility of, of rebellion infinitesimal. I like to put it this way, you know, illustrating the difference between possibility and plausibility. So on the one hand, it's like, okay, we're not going to be deities. We're not going to turn into little Yahweh's. So, okay, even in the eternal state, we're still a little bit less than he is. I'll admit that. Okay. But using that to wonder or say, as some do, that we could sin in the eternal state, I think is really terrible reasoning because to use a modern analogy, it's possible that I could win a Nobel prize, an Academy award, a Grammy, and be the next American idol all in the next year. That's possible. Yeah. It's not plausible. Now, 
It's not plausible. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Mister, I can't okay? work the remote. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, you, there's a, there's a, a great difference between possibility yeah. and plausibility. Yeah. And that's the way we need to think about this question. And Michael, we're just kind of down to a minute. Would you mind closing our time out in prayer? This is certainly an issue sure. that is, uh, well, I would always would love to cover this in prayer as we're wrapping up. Mm-hmm. Lord, we just ask that you would, again, help us Help us to think thoughts that are consistent with the truth that you reveal. We know that this is part of, of Scripture, again, part of you know, the story of what you're doing with us and you know, on earth and what your, your ultimate destiny, your ultimate plan is, that we have rebellion, we have evil, both in our world and in the supernatural world. Just help us to learn as much as we can about that in such a way that we are drawn to you. And not you know, that we you know, would be drawn into some sort of curiosity that would you know, really result in our own self-destruction, our own harm. So just shelter us from that. Make us aware and honest with ourselves about what we're doing and who we are. And help us to appreciate you all the more for it, that you did not give up on us, that you stayed with your plan, and that you're, you're a great enough God to do all of the things that you have done in the past and plan to do in the future. In your name we pray. Amen. Michael, you always make us think. Thank you so much for doing the show. Yep. Thank you for having me on. You bet. Dr. Michael Heiser has been my guest. His book is called Demons, What the Bible Really Says About the Powers of Darkness. It will be out soon in April. That wraps up our show for the day. Have a great night, everyone. God bless. And Thanks I'll for see listening. You Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.